0: Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Tribe of Christians broadcast. I'm your host, founder and ministry leader, Brandon Dawson. Now, in this very special two-part broadcast, I will be reading from my new pre-release book, The Northeast Coast Prophecies. You guys are getting an exclusive reading from two chapters of my new book, The Northeast Coast Prophecies. This book is not out yet. It's not published, and I'm still in the final editing stages of the book. But when we get ready to publish it, it will be available on every major online retailer for ebook download, paperback, and also an audio version for listening. Now, the book goes into a very detailed personal journey of my life in unveiling all the prophecies, the visions, and the dreams that I have put forward concerning the United States in relation to biblical prophecy, unveiling America's exact identity in biblical prophecy. It's past, present, and future in the prophetic timeline. Now, when we get ready to officially launch the book, we will announce it on our site and through email. So if you want to receive updates on that, head over to our site at tribeofchristians.com, and you can either subscribe through email, or you can also become a site member for free. Now, today is officially October 31st, which means it is Halloween. What I want to do is read from two chapters in my book that deal with a very specific experience that my wife and I encountered that launched my prophetic ministry that is connected to a horrific and terrifying event that actually occurred on Halloween to reveal why believers need to be aware of the evil surrounding this demonic holiday. Now, this message will be in a two-part message series, so you'll see in the title sections part one of two, part two of two then I will also be releasing the first three chapters of this book as well in either a one or two part message series so you guys will want to be on the lookout for that as well so let's go ahead and dive right into it Chapter 4, The Room I was blissfully unaware of what was to come before I truly understood my prophetic mission related to our country and the Northeast Coast. I had no idea about the sudden rush of surprising and horrific events that would take place during my first few weeks and months in New York. There were no guidebooks, manuals, or previous examples to prepare me for this unexpected journey. I found myself alone without any family advice or guidance from friends to help me navigate the unknown path that lay before me. Now, the start of my journey into the Northeast Coast prophecies didn't begin with spectacular visions of heavenly beings, divine throne rooms, or direct interactions with the Lord. These profound experiences would happen later. Instead, my first exposure of the areas of dominions, principalities, strongholds, and spiritual atmospheres occurred in a place I least expected, on the edge of hell itself. Arriving in New York City without secured employment or lodging, I had sufficient funds to reserve a single room in a rooming house, specifically an SRO, Single Room Occupancy, at the Ocean View Hotel at 160 116th Street in Rockaway Beach. The hotel had propped up during my online search as offering the most economical rates among the other options available. Despite my reservations, I decided to book a room and journeyed to the venue for check-in. On reaching the location, uncertainty enveloped me. Had I arrived at the right place? The tower that met my gaze bore little resemblance to an Ocean View hotel. Instead, it was a worn-out, four-story building. Unlike the typical multifamily houses dotting the vicinity, the ground floor bore a brick overlay and was fronted by a pull-down metal gate akin to those seen on commercial fronts along Cross Bay Boulevard in Queens. To the left of the gate, a locked gray steel door covered in graffiti was all that welcomed potential guests. Doubts swarmed my mind, yet I dialed the number listed online hoping for confirmation. A faint-accented voice answered the other line, a far cry from the professional greeting one would anticipate from a hotel front desk or customer service representative. Upon my inquiry about the address of the Ocean View Hotel, I received a monosyllabic affirmation, a curt yes, read of any common follow-up questions such as, how may I assist you, or whom am I speaking with? Undeterred, I explained my predicament. I had booked a room online and could not access the building. A response promised my imminent rescue from the uncertainty. Despite my instincts cautioning me, I chose not to prejudge the place based on its unassuming exterior. Moments later, a telltale sign of rusty bolts scrapping against a metal heralded the unlocking of the door, followed by a loud bang as it swung open. A peculiar man of short stature with black skin and a Jamaican accent stood before me. He was somewhat eccentric, dressed in a gray newsboy cap, a brown and yellow checkered flannel shirt, and blue jeans. His hands, covered in white construction dust and calluses, reached out in a weak handshake as I introduced myself. He offered his name, Jay, and little else by conversation. Receipt in hand, I followed Jay into the four building building, piles of construction materials and Sheetrock flanked our path through the narrow entrance. Creaky wooden stairs led us to the next floor, where a long hallway extended towards the back of the building. It was lined with about five or six rooms on either side, and two shared bathrooms and a small shower stall awaited at the end. Jade showed me to room number one. Upon entering the surprisingly spacious room, I noted the king-sized bed a small sink with a mirror, a wall-mounted TV, an enclosed closet adjacent to the entrance, a modest two-seater table, and a window offering a view of another brick building. Jay handed me the key and promptly took his leave. The unnerving experiences began almost immediately. That night, after ordering Chinese takeout from a nearby restaurant for our inaugural meal in New York City, my wife Tiffany and I noticed a peculiar rustling sound emanating from the trash can. Initially dismissing it as mere settling garbage, our skepticism turned to shock as the trash can abruptly tipped over onto its side. Not pleased, I reset it and tried to return to our meal. Once the meal concluded, Tiffany departed, leaving me alone in the room. At around 3 a.m., the startling sound of heavy footsteps Crossing the floor rudely interrupted my slumber. The creaking protests of wooden floorboards accompanied by the pronounced steps. Fear paralyzed me as I realized that I was alone in the room. The door remained undisturbed and securely locked. As the footsteps drew progressively closer to my location, the unmistakable sound of heavy breathing filled the room as if an unseen entity were standing beside me. Suddenly, the room's temperature plummeted, leaving me shivering uncontrollably. Overwhelmed by fear, I leaped out of the bed, rushed towards the door, switched on the lights, and prayed fervently. After roughly 10 minutes, I mustered enough courage to crawl back into bed, leaving the lights on as I drifted back to sleep. Tiffany and I enjoyed a pleasant breakfast at the last-stop restaurant the following morning. Later, we hopped on the 53 bus to explore downtown Manhattan. During our journey, I relayed the terrifying events of the previous night to Tiffany. We pondered various alternatives, but due to our limited resources and the lack of connections in the city, Tiffany decided to remain with me at the hotel for my safety. She refused to leave me in solitude, sensing a deeper purpose behind our unusual circumstances. Upon returning to the hotel room later that day, we discovered that the majestic king-sized bed was two twin beds pushed together, thus providing Tiffany with her own separate space. Yet our troubles were not confined to a single room. That same evening, Tiffany ventured down the hallway to the shared shower. As I settled in front of the TV, I was jolted by echoing screams and the rapid pattern of footsteps reverberating along the hallway. Frantic knocks and urgent pleas of Tiffany's voice punctuated the chaotic scene. Brandon! Brandon, it's me. Let me in. Let me in. Hurry. In response, I sprang from the bed flung open the door and was met with a startling sight. Tiffany, drenched and trembling, wrapped in just a towel. As she narrated her chilling encounter, I came to the startling realization that she had been harassed by the same unseen entity that had visited me. While taking a shower, she had been startled by three deliberate knocks on the bathroom door. Under the impression that someone required the restroom, she promptly responded, affirming that the bathroom was in use. Following her declaration, she alleged hearing a distinct sound of someone manipulating the door handle and making their way into the room. When she spun around to verify whether the door had been breached, she saw it remained securely locked. Her moment of relief, however, was short-lived. As she returned to continue her shower, She was taken aback by the sight of wet footprints, tracing an ominous path from the door up to the shower. The sight was unsettling as clearly showed an uninvited presence in the bathroom with her. Without warning, the shower water temperature shot up, becoming blistering hot. This unexpected change startled her, triggering a sense of urgent danger. Without a second thought, she bolted out of the bathroom the intense heat driving her to flee so hastily that she didn't even pause to dry herself or dress appropriately. Her experience was a tangible testament to the presence of the invisible entity, an unnerving reminder of the eerie encounters that were becoming increasingly frequent. After hearing her disturbing tale, I ventured into the bathroom myself. The water was still gushing from the shower, The eerie wet footprints had vanished from the tiled floor, and when I tested the water temperature, it was chillingly cold, a stark contradiction to Tiffany's prior heated encounter. After turning off the shower and attempting to dispel my rising fear, I returned to our room. Tiffany, now somewhat calmer, mentioned a burning sensation plaguing her back. When I inspected her skin, my stomach churned at the sight of three extensive, and flame scratch marks marking her back, complete with faint blood trails indicating the severity of the wounds. The next day, as we were gearing up for another exploration of the city's wonders, I detected a subtle clinking sound as I opened our hotel room door. Glancing down, I saw Tiffany's cross pendant laying innocuously on the floor. Picking it up, I carefully reattached it to her necklace. Yet, as we made numerous attempts to exit, the cross would mysteriously detach itself, falling to the ground repeatedly. Despite our efforts to secure it, the cross seemed intent on dislodging itself. I held on to the pendant until we were safely outside the hotel premises. Under the open sky, I could only successfully reattach the cross to her necklace, which remained firmly secured. These bizarre incidents intensified in the following two weeks, becoming more frequent and severe. They were no longer confined within the boundaries of our hotel room. Instead, they seemed to shadow our every move throughout the city. That morning, our hearts were filled with anticipation as we boarded the A-train, the city waking to a new day around us. The sun was subtly peaking through the city's massive skyline, painting the landscape with rosy hues and stark shadows. The train rumbled on its tracks, the usual symphony of screeching wheels and gentle hums forming a backdrop to our conversation. We were comfortably nestled near the front of the train, bathed in artificial light, sharing stories and laughter. Suddenly, the carriage lights flickered and died without warning, leaving us in an unexpected darkness. It was an occurrence that wasn't unheard of, on the city's aging subwine lines, so initially we were more amused than alarmed. We sat in the enveloping darkness, chuckling at the inconvenience, confident that the lights would flicker back on as usual. But as the minutes rolled by, our laughter gradually dwindled, replaced by a growing sense of anticipation and unease. The darkness around us felt heavier, more oppressive, as if it was pressing on us. The expected flicker of the lights didn't come and the carriage remained ominously dark. Then my instinct started to prick at the back of my mind. I couldn't shake the feeling that this wasn't a simple electrical fault or a random occurrence. A chilling thought began to creep in, wrapping its icy tendrils around my mind. Could it be that the horrifying entity from the hotel room had somehow followed us? Could this unseen menace have traced our steps onto the crowded city and onto this train? Tiffany then suddenly let out a scream that sliced through the dark void, her fingers clutching my arm with the strength bore of sheer terror. Through grasping breaths, she painted a chilling picture of a figure dressed in black, edging towards us with a menace that seemed to darken the darkness itself. Fear didn't just grip us, it swallowed us whole, twisting our stomachs, quickening our pulses. The world outside the train became a blur as we made a desperate decision to disembark at the upcoming Metro Tech stop in Brooklyn. The climb out of the subway station felt longer and more daunting than ever. The smell of damp concrete filled our nostrils, and the echo of our hurried footsteps seemed to bounce endlessly down the cold, labyrinth tunnels. When we finally emerged from the subway's gloom, The safety of daylight felt like a warm embrace. Sunlight poured onto our faces, starkly contrasting the abyss that we just escaped. As we stood there, our lungs filling with the city's fresh summery air, Tiffany voiced a familiar complaint, a burning sensation on her back. Dread crawled up my spine as I gently lifted her shirt to inspect her back. The sight that met my eyes sent a cold shiver down my body. On her fair skin were three sets of scratch marks, each inflamed and livid. They stood out vividly, a haunting canvas of pain and terror. Each set of scratches was a chilling monument to the unseen terror that seemed hell-bent on marking us. The aftertaste of that morning was a blend of fear and confusion. We were being hunted and stalked by something we couldn't see, touch, or fight. It was an invisible menace becoming bolder, and its touch was a burning reminder on Tiffany's skin. A chilling promise of a terror that had no intention of letting us go. I later understood a sinister fact that sent shivers down my spine. I learned that demonic entities often manifested their presence by attacking people, leaving three distinct scratches or burn marks on their victims. This triad of wounds wasn't random. It served as a gruesome parody, a malicious mockery of the Holy Trinity. The stark realization of the significance of Tiffany's reoccurring injuries was like a cold shock of ice water. The unseen menace had not only targeted us, but was also desecrating something deeply sacred. In response to this chilling revelation, I took precautions to arm us against the unseen adversary. I began to carry anointing oil and holy water with me at all times, hoping these sacred symbols could act as shields of faith against the insidious attacks. I acquired the oil and water from a local church, ensuring they were consecrated by a clergy member, infusing them with divine grace and power. With these sacred tools, we moved about the city with renewed confidence yet cautious vigilance. These items were not just physical objects to me; they became extensions of our faith, tangible reminders of divine protection that we desperately needed. They were our lifeline, our armor, and our silent prayers materialized. From the cold steel jungle of the city to the eerie silence of our hotel room, the anointing oil and holy water were never far from our reach. In time, these actions felt more than routine. They served as a symbol, a symbolic affirmation of faith. Whenever I touched the small vial of oil or the flask of water, I felt an inner strength radiating from within, a sincere hope that despite the chilling encounters, we were not alone in our battle against the unseen. This was our fight, not just against the malicious entity, but a trial of faith that would, I hope, lead us through the darkness towards light. As the attacks persisted, my emotional resilience started to wane. My curiosity that once thrived on understanding the unknown became gnarly anxiety, chewing away at my peace of mind. The instances I'd previously viewed with a detached fascination now sparked a deep-rooted dread within me. What had started as an eerie mystery was now an ongoing nightmare, and I asked, Why us? Why was this horrific, dodgyly pursuing us? What had we done to summon such an evil presence? My frustration brewed alongside these unsettling thoughts, boiling over the brim of my patience. Each unnerving event and the inexplicable phenomenon fueled the fire of my growing discontent. We seemed caught in an unending cycle of fear, a relentless haunting that allowed no respite. And with every new scratch on Tiffany's back, every single uncanny incident, the needle on my patience frayed a little more. Yet, aiming the fear and frustration, I clung to a stubborn shred of hope. I was adamant that there must be a reason for this torment. For every effect, there had to be a cause. We couldn't be randomly chosen victims of an arbitrary haunting. This meticulous precision of the attacks and the haunting, consistent pattern of three scratches suggested an intention, a purpose. But what was it? This unknown purpose ignited in me a fierce determination to uncover the truth, to seek out the root cause of our affliction. My mind raced relentlessly, traversing through the mental labyrinth of possibilities. I knew that somewhere in the obscured corners of this haunting puzzle, lay an answer, a key that could liberate us from this spectacle siege. Simultaneously, I held on to the conviction that there must be a way out of this darkness, an escape route, a solution to our paranormal predicament. I refused to believe that we were destined to be perpetual victims. As our days grew darker, the glimmer of this belief was my beacon of hope, guiding my search for a path that would finally lead us to peace. Now that concludes the first part of this message. Tune in to the second part in the conclusion of this two-part message to find out what we uncovered, the warnings that laid ahead, and the encouragement and hope and how the Lord delivered us from these attacks.